Welcome back to In the Booth, a podcast by the Frederick News Post. My name is Jelena Tulsik, and I cover education. And in this series, I am sitting down with each of the 16 candidates for the Frederick County Board of Education. This is a very crowded field, and there's been a lot of money spent on the race so far, so we figured it was important to sit down with everybody and ask them about the issues facing Frederick County Public Schools. Today, I have Cindy Rose. This is Cindy's fourth time running for the school board. She also sought a seat in 2012, 2016, and 2018. Cindy told me she was the person who came up with the idea to form what is now the Education Not Indoctrination Slate of four conservative candidates who say they want to focus on parents' rights and reform FCPS's curriculum and administration. Hope you all enjoyed the conversation. Make sure to check back for more over these next few weeks. And don't forget, Maryland primary elections are July 19th and early voting begins July 7th. All right, today we have Cindy Rose. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Can you tell me, just to start out, about where in the county you live and what your day job or your professional background is? I live in the Brunswick area, like Petersville is what's actually called, used to be an incorporated town, and I am retired paralegal office manager of a law firm in Towson. I worked there for like 15 years, so now I am a stay-at-home mom. Gotcha. Can you tell us about your previous experience running for any kind of public office? I ran a couple of times for the Board of Education, I think three, got close one time, and that's about it. Just the Board of Education. That's my passion. Okay. So why are you running this time and what's been driving you to run in the past? What are the most important issues to you? I had no intention of ever running for the Board of Education again. It's, you know, you try three times and you don't make it three times. So you're like, okay, well, I did my thing. So I was going around the county educating people on how critical race theory was being used in Frederick County Public Schools. And during one of the presentations that I was giving, I was asked to run. And I'm like, no, I, I won't run for Board of Education again unless you can get me three other like-minded people who think exactly like I think, and they run. Well, lo and behold, three people, not that particular day, but two that day stood up and said, you know what, if you run, we will run with you. So it's very important. It was important to me that you can't get anything done on the Board of Education unless you have four like-minded votes. That's four like-minded people. So I didn't want to go up there and be the lone conservative on a very liberal board and, and have nothing happen, that you're beating your head against the wall. So I said, if I can't go in there with people of a like mind, I don't want to do it. But when people with a like mind stood up, I said, okay, I, I will do it one more time. Okay. Well, what are some of the most important issues that you see on this ballot or on your previous campaigns? Like, what are, what are your focuses? It's always been the same thing. It's been returning uh, local education back to the local level. We have too many uh, corporate insiders, politicians, special interest groups, political activist groups, taking control of public education. It's been like that for 10 years since I've been running. And it's just gotten worse and worse over time. And then I was encouraged to run again or asked to run again. I said, okay, I mean, yeah, what's going on is really horrible. We're focused on identity politics, social, emotional learning, critical race theory, sexual and gender identity, as opposed to focusing on math and reading and science. So I thought, all right, I'll give it one more go. I have people who run with me, Nancy Allen, Olivia Angolia, and Mark Juanides. We are running on a slate, education, not indoctrination. And our goal is to restore education back to the local control, to the parents, where it belongs, and not the outsiders. Okay. So if you were elected, you would be serving alongside the first new superintendent that FCPS has had in a really long time, over a decade. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you would plan to work with Dr. Dyson and what you think could change or be improved um, as we sort of enter this new leadership chapter in the district. Uh, I don't know Dr. Dyson, so I really don't have an opinion on her personally. I'm concerned that she comes from Montgomery County. 
and what happens in Montgomery County is very different from what happens here in Frederick. I was concerned that with there being four votes up or four seats up on the Board of Education, that this board really quickly ran to get a brand new superintendent. I think uh, the respectful and responsible and professional thing would have been to wait until a new board was seated because you could possibly have a new majority who don't want whose vision of education isn't what this Montgomery County person's vision of education is. So I have a concern there. I can work with anybody. My concern would be, does she want to bring more Montgomery County up here? And up here, and that's really not what we need to have happen. We were happy with Dr. Marco. He was a local guy, knows local community, knows the local people. So, you know, I'm concerned of where she comes from. I don't know her. She may be perfectly lovely. She may have the same vision and goals I do. I'm looking forward to getting to know her and finding out if those things, if that's what's happening. Can you be a little bit more specific about what you mean when you say you're concerned about Montgomery County things? Mon- Montgomery County politics is, is very progressive liberal. It's more of the identity-driven divisiveness, and I, I don't think we need more here in Frederick. I think we need less. And my concern is, since she's been down in that system, will she bring that system up to us? That is a concern for me. Okay. So one of the things that Dr. Dyson has said would be really important to her and that I know has been a priority for a lot of board members current board members, uh, has been navigating the continued impact of the Department of Justice investigation. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that and um, how you would work to to work on those issues and any changes or ideas you might have in the area of special ed? Okay, I can talk a little bit about that. I have a legal matter involving that exact thing. So my son attends Rock Creek. So we have an ancillary matter to the Department of Justice investigation. So I have a little bit of insight. So I don't want to say too much about that. the fact that all of that was going on and the public wasn't being aw- made aware of it is very, very concerning to me. Uh, we've, all, we've said for decades, we've said for over 10 years since I've been involved, that the staff does not have enough training to be handling these children. I was unaware that they were still using the seclu- seclusion and restraint rooms when the new Rock Creek was built, and I was given the tour and I saw them. I asked. I didn't think we did restraint and seclusion anymore. You know, why do we have these rooms? Well, apparently we still do that. And I know that there's always been an issue with educating the staff and training the staff on how to handle special needs children or other children who have emotional problems, who need to decompress, who need to have some quiet time. So, um, yeah, I was concerned there were so many in in a short period of time. Yeah, I know you've spoken, I mean, you just mentioned it now and in previous campaign statements and on your website, there's been mention of your son having special needs and how that kind of influences part of your platform or your desire for this. Can you tell me a little bit about your background there and, and what ideas you might have gained from, from raising a child with special needs? Well, like I say, it's the training on how to handle children. My son is very easy to handle. He is not one of the ones who have emotional or social issues. He is in a wheelchair. He has cerebral palsy. He, he needs um, 24-7 adult hands-on. So he is constantly, someone is, has his hands on him or near him or things of that nature, and things still happen. So I have a concern is if my IEP or his IEP says he is supposed to be in adult care from the time he gets to school to the time he leaves, how does a child get injured? And the majority of the Rock Creek students are like that. I have major concerns about why are students getting injured when their IEP states that they're supposed to have an adult on them at all times. Um, I'm all for cameras in the classroom so that we know why hands aren't on a student at all times. I understand accidents happen that, you know, he's gotten scrapes and bumps and bruises in my care. Kids move. They're fast. I understand that. But when it happens a lot, then there's a concern. And I think cameras, especially in the Rock Creek 
school would uh, help us address those issues. Okay. So I want to switch gears a little bit, talk about um, another issue that I know you and the the folks you're running with have been very outspoken about, which is the family life curriculum. Mm -hmm. You've touched on it already, and um, I know you've spoken in public about it quite a few times, Mm -hmm. but um, for listeners who might not have been following that, um, can you just talk about where you stand on that issue and how you think um, or what you think about the way that that discussion and debate has played out in the community over the last couple of months? Well, I think it's wrong when parents don't find out about something until it's about to be adopted. So that goes with the transparency and the communication between Frederick County Public Schools and the parents at large. Um, when you're just finding out about uh, the health, uh, the health um, standards, the framework that was just adopted, parents didn't know what was in that, and here they're about to adopt it. It teaches about anal sex for seventh graders. It talks about teaching gender identity to small children. Those are concerning things for me. Um, the FNP did a report, which I think was very unfair to parents, saying that there was anger. Well, if you're just finding out that they're going to be teaching small children about having sodomy, parents are going to get angry, and everybody should understand that and, and respect that. They're going to get angry about that one. At the last minute, we've already adopted something that says we're going to teach your children about anal sex, about children or uh, people can change their sex. They can be any gender that they want to be, and they're going to teach that to children who just do not understand that and don't need to have it taught to them. Uh, I have concerns with that framework when the fact that uh, our Board of Education has said we have to adopt those standards or the state says so. Well, Carroll County just proved that's a lie. I'm not even going to call it a mistruth and try to be kind. I think that's a lie. I think Frederick County Board of Education um, obfuscates a lot and throws the blame when something's not going to go well in the community and they can't pat themselves on the back and get congratulations for that. They like to say it's somebody else's fault. It's not their responsibility. So they could have said to Frederick County, you know what, you're upset. So we're not going to adopt the framework right now. We're going to sit back and we're going to let the community say what they want to have happen. And then we're going to do what the community wants, not what the bureaucrats want or the politicians or the Gay Straight Alliance people or anybody else. This should be a parental concern, not a special interest group concern. So if you were elected, what ideas do you have or what would you plan to do about this curriculum or this kind of area of of debate in general? And this is the other concern for me. When we're at these meetings and we hear, well, this or that or the other thing is not going to be in the curriculum. Okay, it might not be in the curriculum. I'll give you that. But where it might be is in the lesson plan or in the teacher resource. And what a lot of parents are not aware of is just because FCPS says it's not in the curriculum doesn't mean it's not being taught. Uh, Right after the Family Life Advisory Committee meeting went down, I had a concerned parent come to me. Their uh, fifth grader was taught how to masturbate in class. That's not in the curriculum. It's not in a resource anywhere. That was a teacher personal instruction. That teacher took it upon themselves to teach this particular class because maybe she or he, don't know what it is, thought that this was an appropriate thing to do for a sex education class. That's appalling to me as a student or as a, you know, as a parent or, or as an advocate or as a board of education member. Why are we teaching these sexualized things to small children? So, and there is how the parents get confused. Well, they say it's not in the curriculum. How do they get taught? Well, teachers are allowed to purchase their own resources. They don't give edit. They don't have to get permission. They can do whatever they want. It won't be backed up by the Board of Education or Frederick County Public Schools, but the teacher can still teach it so that they're being disingenuous when they say it won't happen in the classroom because 
it's not one of our resources. Well, the teacher's allowed to purchase her own resource. So you can give zero assurances to a parent that their child will be taught something overly sexualized, overly inappropriate, and age inappropriate for that child. It's already happening. The anal sex thing's not new. I wrote about it in 2017. We were teaching children how to put on a condom so that they could have anal sex and teaching them, please, after you're done having vaginal sex, put on a brand new condom before you have anal sex. And we were teaching this when sodomy laws in, in, Fred, in Maryland said that sodomy was illegal, but Frederick County Public Schools was teaching it to our children already. So with the curriculum and these outside resources that you're talking about, mm-hmm. I have to admit I am not entirely familiar right. with, with what you're describing, so mm-hmm. I can't really speak to that, but... Um, is that something you would try to change if I you were elected? I would absolutely try to change that. And I think that the people on the slate were of a like mind. And this is why it's important to have four people who agree with you. Because if I'm the only one thinking this, we can't get rid of it. But I know that Nancy Allen, Olivia Angoli, and Mark Joannides believe the same thing that I do. And that is you can't have these kind of, the only way you can guarantee the child will not learn it is to refuse to allow it in the school. This is not a place for public education. This is for parents to teach their children or for them to learn naturally as they progress through their age and their hormones, start doing what hormones do and teaches, teaches us naturally. I would say any teacher resource that's not part of what FCPS adopts needs to be approved by the principal of that school, and that's not a process that we have right now. So if a teacher wants to get this particular book, it teaches a certain thing, they have to vet it, give it to the principal of the school, and they have to let the parents in the community know, look, mom and dad, this is the book we're using, you might be a little concerned about this. And another protection is not opt in, it's opt out, or not opt out, it's opt in. So that the parent sees what is concerning and says, you know what, I, I, I'm okay with this, and I sign the form, and you may teach the student. The default position should be, you have to have my permission to teach something that is... Um, maybe incendiary or um, controversial. Okay. Um, well, one thing that you've touched on a few times um, just during this this brief conversation so far and that I know has been a big part of your platform is the issue of transparency. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that you're probably familiar with survey results from the firm that was hired to help uh, find Dr. Dyson, the search mm-hmm. firm. Um, and one of the most striking data points to me from that survey was some different answers um, by teachers, community members, parents, and even a few students um, that seem to show some levels of distrust in the school system and in the school board um, and a desire for more um, clear trans- clear communication and, and just more transparency in general. Mm-hmm. So I know that's important to you. And mm-hmm. can you tell me what your ideas are in terms of how to make that a reality if you are elected? Yeah. They are, FCPS is really hard about when you ask them the question, if I ask you what color is that desk, you, I would say that's black, but they may have a very two-paragraph long sentence on, well, it might be black, but it may be, people might see it gray, people might see it as brown, people, whatever. So they, they're not, they don't answer questions directly. They kind of skirt around answers. So I think, I mean, let's just give, even if the answer makes you uncomfortable, we should be okay with giving the answer. Um, if a parent asks you something, tell them what the answer is. Don't say, well, you need to go ask Bob. If you know the answer to the question, I'll give you a perfect example. Whenever I ask a question, let's say to Kevin Cuppet in the curriculum office, and I just want an answer to a simple question. How many of these books do we have? Well, they turn that into a PIA. I, I don't, I'm not asking you to give me a PIA is a Public Information Act request. I'm re- that means I'm requesting a document. Well, I'm not. 
I'm asking you a question. How many of these books do we have? Could you please just tell me the number? That's all I'm asking. But that needs to go to the legal office, and the legal office is going to send me a letter that says, you know, I can't get you the answer in 10 days, which is the legal obligation. You know, give me more time, then I'll give you the answer to your question. Why can't you just answer the question? How many of these books do we have? Now, it might take you a couple of days to look up the invoices. I don't know. But that's one of the problems I have. They can't just straight up answer a question because everybody is so guarded. Everybody is so afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing. Well, you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing because we have a culture of, of fear and of mistrust in the school. And we need to not jump on people when they're answering something honestly. If that's the answer, okay, it might make you uncomfortable, but that's the answer. Let's just be okay with the answers to the questions so that people will not be afraid to answer them. And I think that's the main idea is they're just afraid to answer questions and they're afraid to get information out in the public because they don't know how people are going to react. Maybe we stop attacking people because we don't like the answer we get and we just accept the answer and say thank you for the answer to my question. It's, it's not hard to be honest and that's that's all it is it's all about honesty just be just tell me what the answer to my question is all right well switching gears again i want to talk about staff um, pay and recruitment so salaries for fcps teachers and other workers like support employees are consistently lower than they are than equivalent jobs would pay in counties like washington county howard montgomery uh, and that has led to concern among a lot of staff and among some board members about staff recruitment and retention. So we've seen, especially with COVID, um, a lot of unfilled positions across the school system. Um, can you talk about what you think about this issue in general and any strategies you might pursue if you were elected to try to mitigate this right. problem? I don't see it as a problem. I think our teachers get pretty good compensation package. I think they get a pretty good salary and they just got a 7.5% raise, I do believe. Do you know anybody else in the private sector who just got a 7.5% raise in this economy with the looming inflation and all these other things? I think they should be very happy that they got a 7.5% raise. They make a decent amount of money. They have a great compensation package. Uh, recruitment and retention. I, this was a big concern for me because we always hear it's money, money, money. Well, I've, well, when we did them, we used to do exit interviews and we would interview the staff member. Why did you, why are you leaving? And there was a big list. Who's we, sorry. FCPS would I always refer to it as we, I'm sorry. Okay. FCPS would do an exit interview. Gotcha. Teacher, staff, whoever was leaving. And it would have a certain amount of questions. You know, why are you leaving? Are you, what are you doing? And the number one reason was not because they weren't paid. It was usually a job overload or just relocating, just got married. Nowhere on the top of that list is we aren't getting paid enough. They stopped doing exit interviews because of that data. That's my inclination as to why they didn't do that. So I don't think that uh, recruitment intention has anything to do with money and everything to do with the culture of FCPS. I know teachers are very stressed out. They're, they're, they feel overworked and overburdened. And I think the overburdening has to do with the fact that they do a lot of um, psychological things now. They do a lot of administrative things now as opposed to they just want to teach. I just want to teach my class. I want to do my craft. I want to help these children become better people. And I think we've overburdened them with paperwork and things that teachers shouldn't be doing. So recruitment and retention has a lot to do with the culture in the school, the atmosphere in the school, and not so much, I don't believe, from the data that I've seen to do with compensation. Okay. So you're talking about workload and, and burnout. Yes. Um, what do you have any ideas on how you might address that as a board yeah, member? Yeah, I would love to see them get rid of 
making teachers administrators and having to fill out a lot of forms and documents. You know, Sally was sad today. Bobby punched Susie today. Yeah, those are things you want to keep track of in your classroom as the teacher. But as a reporting mechanism, I'm not sure that we need to have all. And I would like to do an audit of the teacher's day. What are, how are they spending their time hour by hour? How many hours are we actually is the teacher actually teaching? How many hours are they spending on IEPs? How many hours are they spending on paperwork and administrative type things? Um, checking off social emotional boxes on how was so-and-so feeling during the day. I think they take time out of their day for a meditative thing so the kids are plugging into their emotions in the morning. And, and things that really we don't think of as education and academics. So I would like to see, I would love to do an audit of how the teachers are spending their time and an in-depth audit so that we can find out why the teachers are suffering such burnout. I know they don't get support when it comes to having people in their classroom where they feel unsafe. There are unsafe students in our schools. So there's a lot going on that would make a teacher not want to hang around. We have lost a lot of teachers. We've lost a lot of tenured teachers as, and even some new teachers. The new teachers go in there with, you know, altruistic dreams. I'm going to go in here and I'm going to teach all these children how to do all these fabulous things. And they learn out the reality is, well, you're going to do a lot of administrative stuff that you never signed up for. All right. Well, speaking of staffing, um, another issue that has come up uh, pretty frequently at these board meetings this past year has been the demographics of our staff. Mm -hmm. So um, over the last 10 or 15 years, uh, Frederick County, the, the student population has gotten a lot more racially and ethnically diverse, and the teacher population hasn't really mirrored that, which, I mean, makes sense if you think about the fact that teachers are hired and many stay there for many years. Um, but there's been a conversation around um, efforts toward making the staff population more closely mirror the student population. Right now, it's not even really close at all. The district acknowledges this. There's there's huge gaps um, between the the percentage of students who are, say, black or Hispanic right, right. compared to the percentage of, of staff. So there have been some talks about hiring um, someone in the HR department who is specifically focused on minority recruitment. There have been talks about different support group strategies for minority staff to try to help with the retention piece. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that this is an issue that I disagree deserves with, to be addressed? Or? I disagree with it completely. I've seen the data. I've seen the percentages. The census, the census population with the racial breakdown of the percentage of white, Hispanic, and Asian, and black are the ones that you normally see. And then they have African or um, Island Pacific and stuff like that. So percentage-wise, that's not true. We do match the demographics in the school do match the demographics in the population. There is not a disparity. If it no, is, I'm, it's only a 2% maybe disparity. I'm not, I'm not saying the, the schools don't match the community. I'm saying the students and the teachers don't match. No, they do. I'm, that's what I'm telling you. The staff, yeah, I've seen the data. I have the paperwork if you'd like to see it. It's out in I my have car. It as well. Okay, so I have the census data. I have the percentages on um, not only who's in the school, but who is applying for the jobs. So it matches with maybe a 2% fluctuation here and there, except for in the Asian group, where we have more Asians teaching in our schools than we actually have Asians in the population. So that's a different point in the data. So I don't know who, what your data is, but based on the data that I got directly from FCPS and matched it to the census data, it does not show that there is a disparity in the student break, racial breakdown and the teacher racial breakdown and the population racial breakdown. So I have to dispute the fact that you're saying there's a wide disparity when there isn't a wide disparity according to FCPS's own data matched up with the census data. Okay, well, the meeting I'm specifically referring to was a couple weeks back when the whole question they were debating was, how do we fix this gap that we see? I think it's something like 
uh, I forget the exact numbers, but I know that there's, if you look, let's say there's maybe 20% of the students are black. And if you look at the percentage of teachers are black, it's more like seven or 8%. That's what I'm talking about. Well, you can't correct the teacher student demographic. How do you don't pull in more black teachers that's discriminatory to go and say we need to go and find 10 well, more black teachers. Well that's what I'm asking. You. Yeah. Okay, because so. that's what some people are suggesting is that we need to make more of an effort specifically to hire people who. So what you're saying is we need to go against what the population in our community is. If we have um, Frederick is 80% white I believe we're 10% black and I think we're 7% Hispanic according to the census data. Our teachers match that accordingly. Now if you have more black students in a particular school and you're looking for black teachers, I think that's discriminatory. Why aren't we looking for qualified teachers? Why, why are we looking at their skin color? That's actually illegal. You can't discriminate on someone or hire someone based on their race or ethnicity. So what we should be looking at is how good is the teacher? And why are we worried about the disparity in percentages of blacks to whites and not so focused on the fact that 40% of our children aren't proficient in math and reading. Why aren't we focused on that? We're there to educate. Not, we're not there to pinpoint there's only five black kids in the class. Why are we focused on their identities? Why aren't we focused on what they're learning and how well they're learning on it? The focus is completely askew. We're spending too much time on gender and sexual identities and not enough time on reading and math. If there are disparities, if there are gaps, it's not because we're not focusing on their color enough. It's because we're not focusing on their skills enough. And you don't need a black teacher to teach a black child. And if you're telling me that we are, then there's something seriously wrong with this community. If it doesn't think a white teacher can teach a black child or a black teacher can teach a white child, that tells me you are focused way too much on the melanin level, on the people in our classrooms, and not enough on how well Johnny reads. Okay, so you disagree with the folks who say it's important for a kid to see some teachers who look like them. I don't think kids care. That's the problem. Children do not care. Children go into school seeing people that they want to make friends with and having a great time. They don't notice the the kid next to them is a little bit weirder until someone starts saying, hey, look at him. He's not like me. Hey, look at her. She's not like me. The children that I grew up with and the schools that I hung out in, and I don't think society's changed all that much, especially at the elementary school level where we're all learning these things is, if you're not pointing it out to them purposefully, they don't notice it. They don't care. Is was Bobby nice to me? <gasps> Sally gave me part of her sandwich. John shared his uh, yoo-hoo with me. That's what they care about. They don't care about what their skin color is or what they're wearing. So as we get ready to wrap up here, um, you've mentioned a couple times that you're running on a slate mm-hmm. um, with three other candidates. So there's also, there's another group of four. They're not an official slate, right. which means um, that's a legal term for listeners who might not know. A slate mm-hmm. means they're raising money together and spending money together and they're like officially linked. Um, so there's you four, the education, not indoctrination slate. There's another group of four self-described co- conservative candidates mm-hmm. who are not an official slate. Um, and this is a really crowded field. We have 16 candidates, which is much more than we've had in many, many years. So can you talk a little bit about where you see yourself and your um, fellow slate members as fitting into this race compared to other candidates and why you think you deserve voters' trust? Well, because we have already come to the consensus that there is a systemic failure in Frederick County Public Schools. We aren't focused enough on academics 
and enrichment and the things that bring joy to a child's life as well as meaning. We are focused on superficial things like sexuality, uh, racial identity, social emotional learning. Nancy Allen, Olivia Angolia, and Mark Joannides, and myself, yes, the indoctrin- education, not indoctrination. Like we want to focus on academics, math, reading, science. We want those scores up. We want kids to be happy and joyful when they're going to school, not hearing this apocalyptic information, this negative messaging coming from Frederick County public schools day in and day out. You wonder why kids are depressed and sad and suicide rates are up and we have school shooters. Well, I think that school systems need to take a hard look at themselves. Are we culpable? Have we have we and somehow helped this along the mental health decline of our young people? Because what we're doing day after day is saying you are a victim, you are an oppressor, instead of saying, hey, you are doing a great job. Let's go over here and let's do this. Let's team up with Bob and let's do that. We are not focused on that. We are focused on all these dark, depressing things. And then we just got done having COVID and we socially isolated all these children for over a year. Come on, give me a break. Why aren't we focused on bringing back joy, focusing on math, reading, science, band, sports. Let's bring back ninth grade sports. Let's bring back things that have meaning to children. It is not the color of their skin. It is not their sex. It is not social emotional learning which dips down into their psyche and says, well, maybe you had a bad day because your mom is just not a nice lady or you didn't have a uh, ham sandwich for lunch. Why are we focusing on the negatives? And that's what the slate has agreed to do. We want to go in there and we want to focus on reading and math and letting teachers be teachers and respecting our our neighbors without having to look at their physical characteristics. You're a fellow human being. I respect you as a fellow human being. We need to uh, put back the boundaries between uh, teachers and students. They're not friends. They're professionals. They're there to educate you. They're not there to come in there and take the place of your parent, which is another thing that was not touched on in this interview is the fact that uh, the parental relationship with public education has declined. They're taking the word parent out of their forms for you to fill out. I refused to fill one out because it didn't say parent. It said guardian. Um, you cannot cut parents out of this, which is part of the problem in Frederick County Public Schools. Do so you we, see? Sorry, I'm, I'm curious about that. Do you mm-hmm. see a, a problem with replacing parent with guardian? Can you talk yes, about why you're because upset about that? Why am I upset about that? I'm a parent. Why are, you, why are you taking out my role as parent? So you get to put in gender pronouns because those are important. Why is the word parent not as important as that. That's my identity. I identify as a parent. I gave birth to a child who I prayed for every day would stay alive. I go to his medical appointments. I spend waking hours with him in hospital rooms and running back and forth to medical appointments, and I'm not his parent. That means something. If words mean something, and one group gets to say, well, you need to do this, why why are you diminishing my role as a parent and saying I'm just merely a guardian? No, parent means something to me, and it's disrespectful to take that word out of the forms you want me to fill out. So if, if you want to restore academics, parental rights, the parental relationship, we, that teacher and parent relationship is the one and only relationship that matters in public education because the one between the parent, the student, and the teacher is the one that makes the child feel good. It gets the child educated, and that's where all the information should be transferring back and forth. All these other outside agencies, the political groups that want in, they want their stuff taught to to students, those all need to be swept aside. We need to get back to core basic education, math, reading, science. And we used to be a really good public school system, but that's kind of lacking right now. All right. Well, Cindy Rose, thank you so much for taking some time and joining us today. Thank you for inviting me in.